You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Okay. <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, so, uh, why am I up here? Um, let's start there, and then we'll get we'll get going. So, um, back July 2017, um, was this in prayer at my house? Uh, felt at that time during that time of prayer um, a call upon my life to pursue eldership at this church. Um, after that, talked to uh, the current elders, and then from there have been on this kind of apprenticeship candidacy um, journey. So um, at this point, I'm in the candidacy period. Um, in May, you guys will have the opportunity to um, have a month of evaluation, and one of those uh, things that you'll be evaluating is my ability to teach. So I'm up here to give you a I guess, a demonstration of that or whatever. But um, So that's why I'm here. Um, where are we going? Uh, so today, um, we're going to look at Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Um, and we're going to cover what's in this summary sentence here. So first, what we'll need to do is get out our notes, get out a pen, and then go to where it says test right there, right before the blank, and put an X over the S because I made a typographical error. So if you X out the S, it will make it the word that it's supposed to be, text. So uh, if you'll do that, that'd be great. Um, and so uh, let's, let's do that summary sentence, and that'll help us to know where we're going to go. So the written word tells us about um, historical people and places and about God's character and attributes. Then through prayerful meditation upon the text, um, here's the part where you'll fill in. Um, the Holy Spirit guides us in application. The Holy Spirit ad, uh, guides us in application. So that's what you can write in there, and that's, that's where we're going. First, we're going to learn about um, historical people and places, Nahum and Nineveh. Then we're going to learn about God's character and attributes. Um, verse 2 through 15 are just filled with um, attributes of God, things that are true about him. And then at the end, I'll share the application that through meditation on the word and on this text, God brought to my heart that I should share with you guys this morning. Does that sound good? Great. Um, All right, so uh, we read the text this morning. Um, I won't read it again, but I will open us in in prayer, if that's okay with you guys. Um, God, please um, just uh, be with me now as I uh, bring your word to um, the people here at Sovereign Hope Church. Um, God, just give me um, an inner peace through the Holy Spirit to um, just... uh, Deliver these words confidently and calmly. Um, These are the words that you've brought to my heart to share. This is the application that um, you've brought to my mind through the Holy Spirit and through the meditation of the word that um, our people need to hear. And uh, help me just to trust that. Help me to um, not put too much pressure on myself, um, but to just deliver the word confidently. God, I pray for all of the the hearts that are in this room. Um, I pray that you would uh, prepare each and every person to to hear uh, what you have to say this morning. Um, and I pray that each would um, find one piece of application that they can apply to their lives um, and that it would help them to um, grow closer to you, grow an understanding of um, who they are in light of you, and um, just to know you better. And, and I hope that it will spur them on to, to good works and to um, more, more time in your word. Um, God, we love you, and uh, we just thank you so much for all that you're doing in our lives. And we thank you for your word and the, the truth that it brings um, every time that we get in it. Um, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, 
let's get started. So first, um, I wanted to start with just a time of encouragement uh, for you guys. Whenever I try to, but it just as a qualifier, whenever I try to encourage someone or compliment someone, it always doesn't quite go right. So uh, just uh, hopefully it will. So um, when when you get into the Word, when you have your time of, of personal study, um, don't think that a sermon is what's necessary or what is the necessary result. Um, I think getting into God's Word regularly, so being intentional, um, setting time aside, um, being purposeful to... Um, so being intentional with your time, setting aside the time, scheduling it, doing that, doing it regularly, and then awfully also... Uh, prayerfully determining the answer to these questions. What story is God telling me about himself, and what am I to do with these stories? So being purposeful in your study. So if you're intentional and purposeful in your time in the Word, that's what God wants you to do with your time in the Word. Uh, You don't have to get up. You don't have to produce a sermon. You don't have to um, know in depth every step along the way of Israel's captivity history. You don't have to know everything about Nineveh. But what you do need is to understand what God wants you to know from that text. So um, being intentional and purposeful. That's, that's my encouragement to you. Don't, um, I don't want you to leave discouraged that you think that you have to produce what I'm about to deliver to you. Um, so the journey that I've been on, uh, I think this, the first outline that I wrote for this sermon was in September. So this has taken a long time. This isn't something that I just sat down and spit out. Um, so I want that to be an encouragement to you as well. Don't think that this is just something that naturally happens. Um, and, uh, I've used a bunch of resources. So, uh, Blue Letter Bible app is really good. I don't know if you guys have that or use that, but that's been really helpful. Um, also, um, I've got, uh, the commentary Christ-centered exposition on Nahum. Very good. And also this book by Thomas Watson, The Doctrine of Repentance. I've uh, used, used a lot of information from that. So this isn't just uh, stuff that's coming out of my head. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of time of reading and um, a lot of time of actually digging into to God's Word. So I, did, I hope that that's an encouragement uh, to you. Um, also, uh, thank you so much for all the texts and just all the encouragement. Like, it means uh, so, so much. Um, the, the journey that I've been on uh, up to this point has been really uh, hard at times, but, but really good at times as well. So um, definitely in uh, the journey up to, to this sermon, there's been a lot of uh, growth in the area of um, my fight against perfectionism. So there's definitely something that I battle against that I've got to be good. It's all, I rely on my own strength a lot. And um, in writing this sermon and in just getting into uh, spending more time with the elders and seeing what they do every day um, to attempt to fulfill those roles and do those things under my own power, it really produced a feeling of hopelessness, and it made me want to quit. But um, God is really turning up that sin in my heart and um, showing me that I, I don't need to be hopeless, but I need to be helpless. I'm not, I wasn't lifting these things up to him, and I wasn't relying um, upon God's power and upon God's strength. I was really trying to do things on my own. And so uh, God brought Second uh, Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 to my, to my um, mind and my heart through, through study. And it says, uh, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sakes, I delight in weakness, I delight in insult, I delight in hardships, and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I was spending a ton of time trying to make this perfect so that I could avoid insults, avoid um, hardships. Um, and God just showed me that that's in direct contradiction to his word. Um, so that's the journey I've been on. Just want to kind of give you an update of, of what I've been doing. And hopefully that's an encouragement to you if, if you're um, feeling the same way. Um, and then also one last thing about, uh, uh, whatever. Um, I'll, I'll bring that up later, but uh, let's just go ahead and get started. So um, everybody good on summary sentence? So uh, that'll guide our time. So let's start out. Uh, section one is verse one one. And that's what we're going to learn about historical people and places. So I'll just read one one real quick. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Okay, so when, you, um, when I was studying this verse, um, I just kind of dug into what each word means. I didn't know what an oracle was. Um, I knew a little bit about Nineveh just from the book of Jonah, but um, not a ton. I didn't know what a vision was. I didn't know who Nahum was or what an Elkishite is either. So um, just kind of went word by word to see um, what God could tell us about uh, historical people and historical places. So we'll start there. Uh, What is an oracle? So an oracle is a prophetic proclamation through a prophet that directs human action and foretells future events. So um, God working through a prophet to... um, foretell future events. Also, one thing I forgot to say is on your notes, uh, feel free to take free form notes just on the back. Uh, I'm not really confident yet to teach along with an outline. So um, you've got summary sentence and then you've got application, but uh, feel free to just take free form notes on the back if, if, uh, about all of these other things. So um, the Hebrew word for Oracle is masa, I think is how you say it. But um, what was really cool about that is that it's used in Scripture to describe carrying a load. So in Exodus 23.5, the same words used there. And uh, it says the, the item carried by the donkey. The item. Uh, okay, if you see a donkey or someone of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help him with it. So that donkey that's fallen down under its load the load is the same word as oracle. So um, Nahum is carrying a load. Uh, Nahum is bringing the message to the people of um, Nineveh, the same as a donkey would carry a load for, for someone. So that's, that's the type of thing that, that can help you picture what's going on here. Um, and an oracle has four characteristics. So it originates from God. Uh, it's directed at specific nations or individuals. So in this text, it's directed against Nineveh and for Judah. Um, It's intended to encourage and correct, and it emphasizes God's sovereignty. So that gives us a picture of what an oracle is. Great. Um, So moving on, um, what is the significance of Nineveh? What what do we know about Nineveh? So that was question two, I think, for you guys. You weren't in here. Um, But yeah, question two was the discussion questions. Uh, so Nineveh is a key city in the Assyrian Empire. So today, it's Mosul, Iraq is where, where it is. Um, and so these people are the descendants of the Hamites from Genesis 10. 
Um, so when we were studying Genesis, you had uh, the son, the three sons of Noah. So you had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth, and these are the descendants of of Ham. Um, so in Genesis ten, they're referred to as a cursed people. So it's the same uh, label that's applied to like the serpent and the ground and Cain. Like when um, when Noah gives, I guess, his like judgment or whatever on on his three sons. Um, he talks about how they'll serve the others, um, and, and they're referred to as a cursed people. Um, they're affiliated with the Canaanite people, um, which is the same uh, group as like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're, they're known for violence and sexual immorality and idolatry. Um, and God has, uh, is using these people um, in his judgment against Israel. So they're occupying the land, and they're like exiling um, the people. Uh, so the kind of the timeline, this is question one. Uh, of kind of where we're at uh, with Nineveh here is, so first you had uh, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. Then you had kind of the country of Israel. Um, it's 12 semi-autonomous tribes with judges overseeing them. Then there's the monarchy. Um, you have like Saul and David and Solomon, all the kings. Um, then you have Assyria that comes and occupies the land. And then after that, uh, the Babylonians come. And then after that, the Roman Empire comes. So that's what I was hoping that you would get to for question one, just kind of that basic. Um, but where we're at now is where Assyria is occupying the land, and then Babylon is going to come. So that's where the book of Nahum uh, is, is taking place. Um, so that's sort of what we know about Nineveh and uh, the city. So significance. Uh, so then the next word is... Uh, the book of the vision. So the book signifies a written word. So uh, Nahum's oracle concerning Nineveh was written down, um, is, what, is what this is saying. So um, I don't know that if he wrote it exactly when he saw the vision or if he said it orally first and then wrote it down, but at some point, uh, this is a written document that um, the nation of Israel had access to and re- would review and teach from. So uh, the written word the, the, the significance is that, of that is that the written word can bring um, true spiritual reformation to God's people. So Second Timothy 3.16, we see that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when, um, so that, that's what scripture is referring to, is the Old Testament writings. And we can see that those things are good for... Um, really bringing, pointing out sin in our lives, um, showing us um, what God would have us do that we're not doing now. Um, uh, so in 2 Kings 22, 3 through 13, we have an example of how um, Old Testament scripture was used uh, to reform the people of Israel. So King Josiah, he's like cleaning out uh, the temples and he finds one of uh, Moses' old books of the law. Um, his people or his like uh, attendants read it to him um, and then he sees how far away from God's desires for his, for his life and the people of Israel that they've actually gone. Um, that causes him to uh, institute all kinds of reforms. So they go and they pull out all the um, idols and all of the carved images from all of the temples, um, and it reforms the way that, that they're living their life, and they, they, they turn and they change, their, they change how they're... Um, they're worshiping. And then um, also Josiah then orders all to celebrate the Passover for the first time since uh, judges were ruling the country. So you've got um, 
idolatry, and then they're going back to living how God had always wanted them to live. So that's the significance of the written word. Uh, so keep on going. Uh, what is a vision? So uh, the vision is kind of the how. This is how God. This is how Nahum receives uh, the message that he wants um, him to uh, give to his people. So um, the prophet will kind of enter into like a dreamlike state and receives direction from God. Um, so the prophet waits and receives. Um, there's not a practice of divination or um, looking into like a crystal ball or making potions or anything like that. It's simply a prophet waits and waits on, waits to receive what God wants him to, to know. So you can kind of uh, see a contrast to um, chapter 3, if you go ahead, uh, verse 4. It talks about um, sorcery and those enslaved by the nations uh, are enslaved by witchcraft. So like witch, witchcraft and sorcery and divination is not the way that these prophets will receive messages from God. Um, Visions are then recorded by the prophets and preserved for the encouragement of future generations. So preaching from Nahum and other recorded visions like Habakkuk, Obadiah, Isaiah, they remind us of God's call for repentance and faith. Um, And so Romans 10, 13 through 15, we can see that everyone... So this is Paul talking about... um, I guess why um, he's bringing, why he's, anyway, let me just read it for you. (laughs) Slow down. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So um, in this verse, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news is kind of a mashup between Joel and here in Nahum. Um, And it's given us an example of what people would do with these written um, accounts from the visions. They they preach them. They use them to teach and preach those that that need to hear about God. Okay, so that's uh, a vision. And then the last couple, who is Nahum and what is an Elkoshite? They're short. Um, so the name Nahum means comfort. Um, so he's, he brought the oracle of comfort to the people of Israel. Um, he received the vision, carried and composed this oracle kind of between 660, 630 BC. And he's most likely from Judah. Um, we don't have anything about his genealogy or personal history. The only mention of his name anywhere is here and, uh, Nahum 1.1. And we don't know what an Elkishite is either. Um, the location of that town is unknown. Uh, there's no archaeological evidence of this city. So what do we do with all this information about oracles and visions and Nahum and Elkishites and, and whatnot? So um, a question we can ask, uh, what does this section of Scripture tell us about Nahum and Nineveh, and what are we to do with that? Um, so Nahum's message to Nineveh has present-day value and implications for us. Um, God uses specific people to carry specific messages to specific people, um, either through the written word or through the preaching of the word. So all that to say, um, our, our time um, in the word, yes, uh, focused on us personally, um, what does God have to say to us, but also... Um, it can be, our time in the Word should be others-focused as well. So 
what do we need to do and how do we need to grow? Um, what would God have us repent of? What would God have us change? Um, but um, like Nahum, um, there might be certain messages that God would have us share with people in our lives. So um, studying the word regularly and purposefully gives us then encouragement and messages of, of hope to bring to other people that we come across each day in our life. So that's that. Um, I really wish this was more kind of interactive at some points, but uh, we'll keep going. So next section is there we go. Uh, verses uh, two through eleven. Um, so I'll read. I'll read that. I think. Well, no, I won't. Um, I'll read some. Yes, I'll read it. So, uh, verse 2 through 11. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Um, Who can withstand um, his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust him, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end in Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, O Nineveh, has come one who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. So this is uh, the second part of the summary sentence. So uh, the written word tells us about God's character and his attributes. So we'll kind of uh, pull a few of those out and... uh, and go through those and see what see what God would have us uh, know about Him. So, um, what's what I thought was cool was that uh, this isn't the only place where God describes um, Himself in this way. So, Exodus thirty four six through seven, um, it says, "The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He uh, punishes the children and their sin." And the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Um, Numbers fourteen eighteen. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving, in forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the the children for the sin of their fathers. Uh, did I just read that? I read that, didn't I? Um, so anyway, you see that uh, God describes Himself the same way over and over and over throughout Scripture. That's really what I'm trying to get at here. And that what we see is uh, in Nahum two. 11, I'm sorry, Nahum 1, 2 through 11, uh, we see that he's describing himself in the same way that he does many times. So let's start out with the first uh, attribute that we see, the Lord is jealous. So um, what does that mean to be jealous and what's the significance of that? So uh, God demands the exclusive loyalties of his people. So he alone will be worshiped and uh, no one or other thing else uh, should be worshiped. So idolatry is not condoned or acceptable in any way. And God alone will be worshipped. Um, 
any worship toward any other thing, it can't be tolerated. So the Lord defends his honor and his covenant relationship with his people. Um, the Lord's jealousy for his people has led to the current state of things in Israel um, at the time of this writing. So um, Israel began to worship idols and foreign gods um, for p- political protection. And in God's jealousy, he allowed them to be occupied by the Assyrian Empire. So uh, in Joshua twenty four nineteen, we can see that um, another place where he talks about um, being a, je- a, a jealous God. So he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Um, he will not forgive your rebellion or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. So let's move on. Uh, jealous and avenging. Uh, those are used in the same sentence um, quite a few times. So um, to avenge means to execute the punishment of revenge for wrongful treatment. So that's used three times in the first uh, two verses. So because there, because the Lord is avenging, there is a response of vengeance and revenge for hostile acts towards him or his people. So similar to the judgment of sin, um, Avenging mistreatment is a necessary response to the actions of um, adversaries or foes. So just as God must punish sin as it comes into his presence, if there are um, wrongful treatment by people towards him, um, he must uh, act, react in, in, in vengeance towards those people. But there's uh, not all... Not all these... Th- these don't sound like um, great things, right? They sound hard. They sound uh, difficult. But um, the next attribute of God is the Lord is slow to anger. So the Lord exercises uh, perfect patience for a long time before he executes uh, divine judgment on people. So this, this verse was brought up in our discussion group. The Lord is not slow to keep his promise, as some understand slowness. Patience, uh, let me see, sorry. The Lord is not slow to keep his promise as some people understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God's desire is not vengeance and jealousy. God's desire is the repentance of those that deserve judgment. So his his slowness to anger is a display of his grace. So um, I wanted to try to talk about, you know, comparing vengeance and jealousy um, to and the slowness of anger, kind of to um, the need for God to judge sin and his grace. So um, it's a necessary response to, the, to these treatments of him, um, but his slowness to anger is the way that he um, shows his grace to us. Just like um, we deserve the judgment of our sin and death, but he's provided a way um, for us to uh, be in relationship with him by providing a source of righteousness for us. Uh, Proverbs attributes being slow to anger with uh, great understanding, the ability to calm a dispute, and self-control. So these are attributes of God that we should um, strive after ourselves. Um, if we're slow to anger, then um, it shows that we have great understanding, the ability to calm a dispute, and self-control. Next. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. So slow to anger does not result in an absence of punishment. He's great in power. 
He controls and uses the mighty aspects of creation to carry out judgment upon the guilty, those that refuse to repent, and um, no one can withstand his indignation or endure his fierce anger. The Lord is good. Um, He wants us to take refuge in him. Um, He doesn't want us to take refuge in our sin. He doesn't want want us to take refuge in ourselves. He doesn't want us to take refuge in our idols, our government, our kids, etc. He wants us to take refuge in him. He alone we can trust, and he alone will take care of us. Um, And so the importance of, I just want to talk about the importance of the word is. Um, So, sorry. So in all these attributes, it says the Lord is this. Uh, The Lord is jealous. The Lord is avenging. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord um, is good. So the way that these um, are phrased with the word is, um, it tells us that God is always these things. It's not that he can be or that he could be if provoked in the right way or if the situation presents itself in one way, he could react um, in this way. So uh, the Lord is always this way, always and forever. Just as we see that he's telling us that he is this way throughout Scripture over and over and over, we know that external circumstances don't dictate these things about God. He always is this way. So contrast that to Marcus. Um, I'm slow to anger if I'm fed and rested, not stressed. Um, external factors definitely um, have an impact on how slow to anger I am with the people around me. Um, But with God, he is this way. So what does the scripture tell us about God? What can we take from it? Um, And what did we learn? So God is unchanging. Um, His description of himself varies little throughout scripture. He is these attributes always. Um, They're not dependent on any outside circumstances. Um, So God alone is worthy of worship. The only worship that is worshiped should be directed at him, and the guilty will receive his wrath. So um, those that trust him will receive his forgiveness and enjoy his refuge and peace. And um, only those, uh, those will receive his wrath only after uh, sufficient grace is offered. He's, he's slow to anger, and he will give you the opportunity to repent. Um, but those that reject him will receive his wrath. Good. Okay, so we'll move uh, right along. Um, Section four, so that's um, verses uh, 12 through 15. So these are um, words that God says about himself. And these are the words that God says. um, So it says, this is what the Lord says. These are words that um, he said and that are recorded uh, by by Nahum. Um, And so we're going to ask ourselves... um, what hope does this uh, section of Scripture bring to the believer? So we'll read it, and uh, then we'll answer those questions. So this is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols. They are in the temple of your God that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave for you are vile. 
Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news and proclaims peace. Create your, celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. So what hope do we, do we gain from that? Um, so similar to what we learned in, um, in Hebrews, there is loving discipline of, of his children by God seen here. Um, there is um, a nation that's come and has occupied Israel. There's mistreatment and, and hardship that they experience, but um, it's loving discipline. It's his attempt to um, bring them back, bring them back to him and show them what they're doing is wrong. Uh, the hope from Judah, uh, I'm sorry, the hope for Judah uh, in, in verse 15, uh, the discipline under that they're seeing under the Assyrian Empire will come to an end with their destruction. So um, you have the Assyrian Empire who's uh, being pretty brutal to them. If you read chapter 2 and 3, and um, that uh, you'll see kind of a outline of all of the things that they were guilty of. There was a lot of um, exiling people, taking people from their homes and sending them to other places. Um, just very brutal and violent people. And th- those were the things that uh, the nation of Israel was experiencing. Um, and so even though Babylon is going to come and continue to occupy the land, uh, there will be, there's hope there. So I was trying to think of a good example. Um, here, it's hard to think of being occupied by a different nation or something, but um, around the world, you have more oppressive um, governments. So picture someone in maybe in North Korea or China who, where martyrs are, where martyrdom is happening. Uh, the hope that, w- that those Christians would receive if they heard that that leader is going away and someone who's not going to kill you is going to come. So maybe they're still um, not believers or they're still not um, going to embrace Christianity, but they're not going to kill you anymore. So I think that, that that's kind of the hope that, um, that Nahum is talking about here, that it will get better, but you're still occupied by, by a foreign nation. So that's the hope that, that um, Nahum is bringing. So in verse 15, um, you have that hope. The look on the mountains of one of the feet who brings good news, who, proclaim, who proclaims peace. Um, you have a good news for the people um, of Israel. Um, you have a good news that they will be able to um, return to living the way that, uh, like I was mentioned earlier, they, they'll begin to celebrate festivals. They'll begin to um, kind of function in the way that they were meant to, still under the occupation of, um, of, an, of a different nation. But then the hope for the believer today um, this this is meant to point us towards the gospel. Um, so we have hope of one who will come. Um, we can um, we still have the effects of sin today, but we will eventually. Um, prov- it, the, the gospel will provide um, peace between God and His people. So we see the Old Testament pointing toward the New Testament, uh, the better peace of the New Covenant. So, what hope does this bring? Um, we are His people, regardless of the discipline we receive. Um, Christ will return, and discipline's necessity will end at the final defeat of sin and death. So, that's the text. That's what I read. That's what I wrote down in my notes. That's what um, these resources helped me to learn. So, that covers the first 
kind of two points of the summary sentence. It tells us about historical people and places and about God's character and attributes. Um, but then the prayerful meditation upon the text, what, what was the application that the Holy Spirit guided me towards? What was it that um, God wanted me to share with you guys today? And so I just couldn't um, get over the idea of what happened between Jonah 3 and now, right? So um, in Jonah 3, you have uh, it, that chapter ends when it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not uh, bring, upon, bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And then here we see the Lord is jealous and avenging. Um, he will destroy it. You know what I mean? So what what has happened? And, and that made me ask, What is was there improper repentance here? Um, if so, is there improper repentance in my life? What what do I need to know about repentance? And it made me want to kind of dig in and um, understand repentance better and understand what happened at the end of chapter 3 in Jonah and what's happening now, what happened in between. So that's the application that we'll cover now. And this is where your notes pick back up. So if you want to fill in the blanks while we're talking, you can. <clears throat> okay. So um, the details of the time between Jonah 3 and Nahum 1 can be found in Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Um, it tells the story of King Hezekiah, King Josiah. Um, I don't know this story very well. I have that high-level um, Overview, but I definitely want to get back in. This is this kind of turned up an area of uh, development for me for sure uh, to get to know that better. Um, so, what happened? I needed to know more about their repentance and repentance in general. So, uh, if you want to know more about that, you can go back to the podcast list, December twenty eighth, twenty thirteen. Um, that's when you guys were studying the Book of Jonah. There's a really good podcast that Adam did that covers chapter two and three, and um, what we learn is that the repentance of Nineveh was genuine. Um, so good job, Nineveh. Um, the 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 things that we that we see that are present there. Um, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Um, so if you read this this chapter here, you see. Um, that the Ninevites believed God, they declared a fast, they, they had all the external um, signs that their repentance was real and that their heart was changing. They put on sackcloth, um, they, detired, they declared a fast for all the people and all the animals. So they were um, fearful of what, of, of what God would do, but also they saw what they were doing was wrong. So they weren't just scared of the punishment, they, their heart hurt and they hated the sin that they were committing. So learning all that um, made me see that the repentance was real and genuine. Okay, so why then now the destruction of Nineveh? So I began to, I got, uh, I started looking online, started finding, trying to find some articles, trying to find some things that could help me learn more about it, repentance. Um, I found this book, um, 
and it was very helpful, and it, it helped me to find these six marks of um, repentance. So I thought we'd walk through each of those, and then that can help each of us uh, as we're repenting daily. So let's walk through those, and then um, this will be the application that we take away um, from today. Great. Okay, so first, um, number one, sight of sin. So we must see sin in ourselves before we can repent of it. So um, if we go back to the first couple points of verse 1, so um, hearing God's word and so, so hearing the preaching of God's word, um, the recorded oracles and visions of God, when we're reading those, um, we have God's written word. So um, that will help us to see the sin in ourselves. Um, and also coming and hear, sitting under the word, sitting under the preaching of the word helps to um, point out and help us to see the sin um, that's present in our lives. So um, Acts 26 says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So um, I think Ben said this. Great job, Ben. So it was that you you first have to even know what to repent of. So that's what um, that's really where it starts and that happens by getting into God's word and sitting under the teaching of God's word. Um, also, don't be surprised when repentance is necessary, and don't let the need to repent undo us, meaning repentance should be an expected activity. As we get into God's word and as we sit under the teaching of God's word, um, we should expect to be um, to find sin in our lives, to see where we need to grow. Um, and it shouldn't result in despair, but um, in thankfulness and in um, a response that God is growing and sanctifying us daily. So that's number one, side of sin. Um, number two, sorrow over sin. So sorrow over sin, uh, godly sorrow has six attributes. So we have six attributes of one of the six. So we'll go through those really quick. Um, this is one where um, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in, for me anyway, of do I need to look sorry or do I need to be sorry? Do I need to sound sorry or do I need to truly be sorry? Like, those are the questions that um, began to come to mind uh, as, I evalu- as I evaluated my own self. And it's really um, important to, to get your heart right, for me anyway, to get my heart right and not to think through um, how I look. Like I told you, I was... I struggle with that perfectionism of I can't let people down. Um, I don't want to be criticized, but um, focusing on that and not on the heart um, was definitely an area of growth for me as I was reading through these things. So let's go through those six really quick. So um, true godly sorrow was inward. So when we sin, it's, it's a heart decision. So we, our heart desires something more than God. Uh, but the heart also plays a part in repentance as well. So um, our heart desires something that's sinful, and our heart has to be involved in the repentance of that as well. Um, So Psalm 51 says, uh, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Um, 
that's that's the the sorrow that God wants us to feel. Um, so, godly sorrow. So, okay, number two, uh, godly sorrow is honest and sincere. Um, sorry for the offense against God, not the punishment. So, our heart should break at offending God, even if there was no um, punishment associated with it. Um, just the act of sinning against God should bring about the sorrow. Um, godly sorrow is trustful. So repentance teaches us to go to God for comfort instead of our own sin for comfort. So um, Zechariah 12.10, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns. That's, that's not the right one. Um, we'll get to that one next. Uh, but um, going to God for comfort um, and not our sin. That's trustful. Uh, godly sorrow is great sorrow. That's what this is. Uh, Zechariah 12.10. They will look on me, the one that they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for only a child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for only a fir- for a firstborn. Um, definitely can grow in the area of grieving over sin. Um, it's so easy to sin, pray, move on. Um, I don't know that... Um, I really feel sorrow as for one who's lost a firstborn over my sin. Um, but that's def- that was definitely an area of, of conviction. And that's, and sinning against God, um, his word tells us, should produce that type of sorrow in us. Um, sometimes uh, sorrow, godly sorrow should be joined with restitution. So if our sin is against an individual, um, it could be appropriate to include restitution in your repentance. Um, so maybe when you're evaluating, see if that's, um, appropriate and godly sorrow is abiding. It's perpetual. Um, true sorrow is habitual. Uh, true repentance, um, happens daily. So the disease in our soul is chronic and, um, it frequently returns. So we're, we're sinful daily and uh, we, we have cause daily to repent. So that's number two. That's those six. Um, Number three, confession of sin. Uh, This is a direct quote from the book. It says, sorrow vents at the eyes and the mouth. So we have that um, outward expression of sorrow through tears, but also um, if we are repentant, if we are repentant of our sin, we confess it to God and others. Um, What does confession of sin include? So it's accepting the ownership and responsibility of our sin. Um, the, our confession should be a mixture of voluntary and involuntary um, confession. So don't confess only what you've been caught doing, right? So And confess fully. So don't only confess the extent that someone has found out. So confess fully and confess voluntary. Um, even if I don't, even if you haven't been caught, but you know that you've sinned, that's that's a sign of um, godly sorrow over your sin is that you confess what you haven't been caught doing and you even express what the people might not um, or could not know about. Um, Confess that to others and to God. Okay, number four. Um, um, So each, so shame of sin, um, each sin that requires repentance was applied to Christ on the cross. So, um, Christ suffered the wrath of God for us, and yet we continue to sin. Um, the reality should 
this reality should cause a shameful response to sin. So um, that looks like how that, why should we feel shame? It's because we've shown um, unthankfulness for what God has given us. So we've wanted something maybe more than God has given us. So we've gone after something that is different than what God's already provided for us. Does that make sense? Um, so there's, there's a display of unthankfulness or possibly unbelief. Um, we've acted on um, Satan's temptation. Um, there should be a, a shameful response to that. Um, a feeling of nakedness, um, being on display, being stripped of, uh, almost like the being stripped of your white robe, almost. Like your sinfulness should um, expose you give you that feeling of being exposed. And it, it's um, an example of folly as well. So when we see um, the birthright being given up for a bowl of stew or something something like that, it's, it's, a, it's something that wasn't smart to do. It's an example of, of our folly and our uh, lack of wisdom. Those should produce um, shame of sin. So uh, number five, hatred of sin. Um, this came up in our group. Uh, Christ is never loved until sin is loathed. Um, so the the genuine repentance reflects God's wrath towards sin. So we loathing sin versus leaving sin. So we can stop doing an act of sin, but if we still love it, um, it's going to somehow it is. It's still there in our heart. So stopping the act versus um, continuing to love it is, is I think, the, the idea here of, of having a hatred of sin. And the last one, um, number six, uh, turning from sin. So turning from sin requires relying upon God's strength, not our own strength. So to turn from sin um, there's a reformation. There's a sincere desire to never engage in that same sin in the future. Um, so it, it, in the book, it talks about uh, fasting perpetually. So uh, when we fast and we get hu- when we fast from food and we get hungry, um, we fulfill or sustain ourselves through prayer and on the Word of God. Um, and so the same thing applies here: that if there's a sin that we're truly repentant of the response is perpetual fasting. And when that desire comes back um, or there's a hunger for that sin, we then turn to God and his power, his word, rely and fill ourselves up on, on the Lord instead of that sin. Um, and others should notice. Um, they should notice something different. Um, they should notice that we're not doing the same thing um, that we used to do. Did I say everything? I think so. So those are the six. Uh, those are the six things that I learned from this book. Those are the things that I learned about repentance. Um, and those are the things I think that were, were on display or that happened between Jonah and um, Nahum. There was true repentance um, of the people from Nineveh, but as time went on, um, the people that lived there in Nineveh, the people in charge, the, um, the way of life in the city, um, they returned to violence. They returned, um, to doing things that was, um, 
against the Lord, and they did not continue to repent um, of those things. Um, so one last thing to leave you guys with, um, just as as far as like repentance goes, um, listening to the preaching and teaching of the word will um, point out the sin in our lives and help us to see our sin, and then we can begin uh, the begin to repent from that. Um, being in God's word regularly and purposefully will help us to see even more, right? So we come on Sundays and we hear um, the preaching of God's word, God's word. Um, but then if we are being purposeful and um, intentional in God's word throughout the week, those are more things that God can bring up in our lives. Um, and bringing in additional resources like a commentary or a book or a podcast, that just... I don't know that that's necessary to see, but it just helps to kind of open that funnel even more wide. All of the things that God wants to show you about his word, his text, um, helping to understand all of the, the small nuances of a word like Oracle, for instance, can help you understand uh, more about yourself and help to churn up some of those simple things in your life that you might not have noticed. So um, I hope that's a, a, th- a piece of encouragement for you as we go on to. So uh, my prayer was for, everyone to find one thing that was helpful to them that they could apply to their lives that would help them know more about um, repentance um, that would help them to to be encouraged going forward. And um, I hope that that's been the case. So I'll pray for us. I'll close this out. And then um, those guys will come play again. All right. Um, God, just thank you so much for your word. Um, we uh, are just so thankful for the way that... Um, you tell us so much about yourself. You tell us so much about what you have done and that um, you give us all of these resources that, that can help us to um, see more about um, what your word means and what it would have for us to do. Um, God, I just pray for um, each person here that something would um, be helpful to them, that they would um, take a look at um, their lives um, the things that are going on, and that, that, that they would analyze and, and evaluate themselves on um, on the way that they're, um, their attitude of repentance. Um, God, we just um, thank you so much for this time, and um, we just pray that uh, you would be with us this week and help us to um, be in your word uh, faithfully, purposefully. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.